There's four accounts of Jesus' life uh, in the Bible, and only two of them, uh, two of the gospel accounts, talk about the birth stories. It's, uh, uh, Luke talks about it, and Matthew talk about it. The other two uh, leave it out completely. And the focus in Luke's account is on Mary, the mother of Jesus. So you have a lot of uh, interaction with Mary. And in Matthew's account, which we're going to read today, uh, the focus is on Joseph. Um, and the responses to the announcement of uh, the coming Jesus differ between Mary and Joseph drastically. When Mary learns of the news, she kind of leans in with this reverential fear, and yet there's hope. Uh, She's kind of excited. There's a celebration uh, that takes place. She processes the whole experience very deeply and artfully. She sings. Um, Joseph, well, Joseph just flips out. Any dads can relate? Yeah, so Joseph just flips out over the whole news, and, uh, which we're going to look at today. But before we get into the story, it's just important to remember that wherever we are, that's where God meets us. Not where we should be, but where we are. And it's into Joseph's state of panic uh, that God speaks. And what Joseph hears are these simple, ordinary instructions uh, that would have been very familiar to fathers uh, in the ancient world Uh, And that is to name and to adopt their son. Um, So we'll talk about this in just a minute. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Hopefully you know this story. Uh, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. Uh, That's biblical language for coming together. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, was unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save People from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not uh, until she had given birth to a son, and they called his name Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time of year, and thank you for this story. Um, it's so simple. Uh, we, we hear it every year in some form. Uh, so we pray as we look at it again this morning that you would um, illuminate for us some things that we um, just long to hear. And it's your name we pray and everyone said, amen. So some background for you. Um, the ancient uh, marriage procedures in the Jewish tradition is a little different than ours. But I'm just going to give you the simplest description. There are two stages to get married. There are other layers to it, but there are two primary stages of getting married. Uh, And Joseph and Mary are like between the two. They're moving from the first to the second. So Mary technically is considered his wife. That's why you see that word wife uh, in the text. Uh, But it really is like more like our engagement, um, which means they're committed to a life together. And from that, this is key (laughs) to the story, from that point forward, remain faithful to one another. Uh, So the dilemma 
is that Joseph hears that Mary um, uh, is pregnant. And so he's, he's panicked. And you can imagine why. Uh, there's the stigma. But there's also, for Joseph, the commandment um, that you shall not commit adultery. So he's concerned about that. He's worried about perception. And so the text says that Joseph is a just man, a righteous man, which means uh, that he is obedient to the law. But it's interesting, he tries to go around the law and says, I'll just divorce her quietly, which really just means that he'll do it without giving a reason to avoid, uh, so that Mary can avoid public shame. And it's interesting because Jesus, you can see what's going through his head. I mean, he's like, I don't want to raise a son who everyone is going to assume is illegitimate. And uh, Jesus would endure rumors like that. You can find little pockets in the Gospels where people make little passive-aggressive remarks about his family. And so perhaps Joseph saw this coming. I mean, they were living deeply uh, in an honor and shame culture, and so they would have both been canceled for sure, you know? Thank you. Uh, so in the throes of his worry, as he plans an escape for both he and Mary, Joseph has an encounter with God, and God just says, look, I'm completely involved in the situation. Um, you're having the Son of God, you know. So let's take a look at this one verse for the next few minutes. The instructions given to Joseph are these. She, shall bear a, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And in this little verse, there's a little roadmap for us as we move through um, today's message. And there are two points of interest. The first is adoption, and the second is the name Jesus itself. Um, now, to name the child in the ancient world is to uh, take the child as your own, you know. Um, to, in the Roman system, fathers would adopt their own sons, it sounds strange, adopt their own sons at a certain age as a way of acknowledging them as an heir of the inheritance. And so you see a lot of this language in ancient texts. Um, but notice the turn in the verse. She will bear a son, clearly, and you will name him. Because no one will wonder if it's Mary's child. And God is asking Joseph to assume the same parental posture as Mary, to be involved as a father. And so we have this image of Jesus in a need uh, for a family, that someone will have to welcome him as his own. Now, early Christian writers would use the same language for people who follow Jesus, that they have been adopted and are heirs of Christ. And I look at Jesus's beginnings here in the birth. It's like there's nothing royal about his birth. It's layered with social and religious complications. And he will enter the world as an outsider from the very beginning, illegitimate from the start. And he'll grow up in a small town. For those of you who grew up in a small town, you know how easy it is to keep a secret. And also in a non-traditional family. Um, we feel some of this in our own family. The picture here, you can see um, one of these does not look like the others. And, um, you know, and so we, we understand that 
you know, when we're out in public, people try to do the math. I still, she's eight, I still, like when we're at Ikea or something, and she runs off ahead, I still think, people are going to think this little girl's lost, you know, because we're like 15 feet behind her, and she looks like she's by herself because clearly we don't take after each other. And so um, I was on the train once. She was really young, and I just had her in my arms, and I was on the train and um, just minding my own business. And I saw a couple looking at me, and one looked at the other and said, I wonder how that happened. <laughs> but uh, so we understand that. You know, we understand that there's always going to be um, an opportunity to share the story. I've talked about our adoption process a million times, you know, and it's fun. It's, it's enjoyable uh, to tell people the story uh, and all that. I have a friend, you know, when you adopt, you have friends that adopt, and um, she posted a picture on uh Instagram, you guys have heard of this app, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's really a cool thing. Um, I think the kids are going to, it's going to take off. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kind of a big deal on Instagram, I know what I'm talking about. So, um, I had 90 views the other day of something. But anyway, she had a picture, and she had a, cert, a shirt on that said... Um, on the shirt, it said, uh, families don't have to match. And I like that. I like that. And what I know, both academically and just devotionally, about the early church is that those Christians lived that out to an offensive degree, setting up churches as places where all people had a seat at God's table, where outsiders could find community and friendship and hope and rest and I think it's good for us to pay close attention to that uh, as a church, to work hard to be a place that doesn't match, that isn't all the same, and that the identity of a church isn't like a demographic, but a savior. Amen? And so Joseph is instructed, hey, I know this isn't what you planned, uh, but I need you to assume the role of the father, to adopt, because this will be the model of how my church will grow in the future. And then finally, this part, and you shall call his name, what? Jesus. I think names come and go with generations. Um, I'm 46, so if you tell me your name is Jenny or Jennifer, you were born about the same time as me. I knew like 100 Jennifers growing up. Um, so a lot of, a lot of Gen Xers uh, have kids with names from the show Friends, lots of them. When I... <laughs> When I started out in youth ministry, <laughs> when I started in youth ministry in 1993 uh, and really got going in the mid-90s, I had so many Rosses and Chandlers and Monicas and Rachels in my, you know, children's area. It was just nauseating, you know. Yeah, that's definitely Joey. That's definitely Joey. <laughs> Keep an eye on him. Uh, if it wasn't for my mom putting her foot down, uh, my name would have been... Eli Washington Sweatman IV. So like a liberated woman in the 1970s, she put her foot down and went with Derek, you know, so. <laughs> Which is Hebrew for road. Thank you. I'm all throughout the Bible. Now you probably know this, maybe you don't, but Jesus is the Greek name of the name Joshua. It's the Greek version of Joshua, which means the Lord saves. 
Uh, Messianic Jews, when they refer to Jesus, they call him by that name, Yeshua. Uh, that Jesus is the new Joshua. He is the Lord that saves. Jesus was also a super common name in the first century. Um, there, there's a Jesus in Jesus' genealogy. If you roll back through Matthew 1, you can find a Joshua there. And so there's even the name there. There's a tradition um, that Barabbas, who is released as a prisoner so that Jesus may die, is also named Jesus because Barabbas is more of a surname. Uh, Josephus, who was born about the time Jesus died, wrote a lot of history about the late first century, um, and he mentions 20 different men with the name Jesus. So you can just throw a stone in the first century and, and hit someone named Jesus. And what I like about this and am captivated by is that the Savior of the world has a very common name. A very common name. Born into a family, stigmatized in their situation, uh, given a normal common name. And so when Christ entered the world, he entered through the servant's door. And so if Jesus was going to be a king, it would be an uphill journey from the very, very start. When Jesus is on trial before his crucifixion, Pilate asks him specifically, are you a king? And Jesus, and I'm paraphrasing, says, not the kind that you think I am. And Pilate is confused, and Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not the kingdom that you are used to. The kingdom of heaven rises from the bottom. The kingdom of heaven is for people with forgettable names. The kingdom of heaven doesn't care where you're from or what kind of family you were born into. And the kingdom of heaven is filled with people from the outside. And I love that the text in Matthew uh, in our story today says, all of this happened to fulfill what was spoken of by the prophet. And then it quotes that Isaiah text that we read early in the service. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, Jesus was never named Emmanuel. It's just... He's pressing this old prophecy up against Jesus and saying, people will say about Jesus that God is with us. One of the centurions at Jesus' crucifixion says, surely this is the Son of God. So it's not Jesus' name, it's what he is, that he is God with us. So the seasons of Advent and Christmas, they really are a time when most of us come back around to the story and the person of Jesus. Easter was a long time ago. For us, it was a different building ago. Um, and I notice in my own life that in the months between Easter and Advent um, are the months where I can drift in my faith and practice. I get pretty bored. Summer, school starting back up, routines, um, getting older. I mean, you know. There's just nothing that exciting between Easter and Advent. So maybe you're the same. Maybe you come out of Easter and it's just this slow, gradual descent back into the same old valleys. Because that's where I go, you know. Um, but Advent is marked by this tradition of increasing the light with each week, lighting of the candles and so on. And that's a symbol of Christ's light growing in the world. But it's also for us, for you and for me, um, this symbol of being able to see again, to return home again. 
And I love the way that this whole story unfolds because it's like, um, and this is a C.S. Lewis concept, but that uh, God, in order, to, in order for us to really know who God is, um, God wrote himself into the world's story. And he did so in a normal family from a normal town with a normal common name. And I think he did that so that we might always feel at ease in his presence. Amen. And so as we enter the Christmas season coming up in just a few days, um, I want you to feel confident in your return. If you are returning uh, to Christ this season, if it's been a while, you know, if you've been just doing life and it just hasn't been on your radar, um, welcome back. And I pray for you and I pray for our church and for all those who are seeking um, who Jesus is in this world. And I pray that you find that and that you always find peace in his presence.